Chapter One, Part One of the Rock of Chickamauga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rock of Chickamauga by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter One, At Bellevue, Part One. You have the keenest eyes in the troop. Can you see anything ahead? asked Colonel Winchester. Nothing living, sir, replied Dick Mason as he swept his powerful glasses in a half curve. There are hills on the right and in the center covered with thick green forest, and on the left where the land lies low, the forest is thick and green too, although I think I catch a flash of water in it. That should be the little river of which our map tells. And you, Warner, what do your eyes tell you? The same tale they tell to Dick, sir. It looks to me like a wilderness. And so it is. It's a low-lying region of vast forests and thickets, of slow, deep rivers and creeks, and of lagoons and bayous. If northern troops want to be ambushed, they couldn't come to a finer place for it. Forrest and five thousand of his wild riders might hide within rifle shot of us in this endless mass of vegetation. And so, my lads, it behooves us to be cautious, with a very great caution. You will recall how we got cut up by Forrest in the Shiloh time. I do, sir, said Dick, and he shuddered as he recalled those terrible moments. This is Mississippi, isn't it? Colonel Winchester took a small map from his pocket, and unfolding it, examined it with minute care. If this is right, and I'm sure it is, he replied, we're far down in Mississippi in the sunken regions that border the sluggish tributaries of the Father of Waters. The vegetation is magnificent, but for a home give me higher ground, Dick. Me too, sir, said Warner. The finest state in this union is Vermont. I like to live on firm soil, even if it isn't so fertile, and I like to see the clear, pure water running everywhere, brooks and rivers. I'll admit that Vermont is a good state for two months in the year, said Dick. Why not the other ten? Because then it's frozen up solid and hard, so I've heard. The other boys laughed and kept up their chaff, but Colonel Winchester rode soberly ahead. Behind him trailed the Winchester Regiment, now reorganized and mounted. Fresh troops had come from Kentucky, and fragments of old regiments practically destroyed at Perryville and Stone River had been joined to it. It was a splendid body of men, but of those who had gone to Shiloh, only about two hundred remained. The great conflicts of the West and the minor battles had accounted for the others, but it was perhaps one of the reliefs of the Civil War that it gave the lads who fought it little time to think of those who fell. Four years, crowded with battles, great and small, sieges and marches absorbed their whole attention. Now two men. The dreaded Forrest and fierce little Joe Wheeler occupied the minds of Winchester and his officers. It was impossible to keep track of these wild horsemen here in their own section. They had a habit of appearing two or three hundred miles from the place at which they were expected. But the young lieutenants, while they watched too for their redoubtable foes, had an eye also for the country. It was a new kind of region for all of them. The feet of their horses sank deep in the soft black soil, and there was often a sound of many splashings as the regiment rode across a wide, muddy brook. Dick noted with interest the magnolias and the live oaks, 
and the great stalks of the sunflower here in this southern state which bathed its feet in the warm waters of the gulf spring was already far along although snows still lingered in the north the vegetation was extravagant in its luxuriance and splendor the enormous forest was broken by openings like prairies and in every one of them the grass grew thick and tall interspersed with sunflowers and blossoming wild plants through the woods ran vast networks of vines and birds of brilliant plumage chattered in the trees twice deer sprang up before them and raced away in the forest it was the wilderness almost as de soto had traversed it nearly four centuries before and it had a majesty which in its wildness was not without its sinister note they approached a creek deeper and wider than usual flowing in slow yellow coils and as they descended into the marsh that enclosed its waters there was a sharp crackling sound followed quickly by another and then by many others the reports did not cease and although blood was shed freely no man fell from his horse nor was any wounded mortally but the assault was vicious and it was pushed home with the utmost courage and tenacity although many of the assailants fell never to rise again cries of pain and anger and imprecations arose from the stricken regiment slap slap bang bang ouch he's got his bayonet in my cheek heavens that struck me like a minnie-ball and it came whistling and shrieking too just like one phew how they sting and my neck is bleeding in three places by thunder bill i hit that fellow fair and square he'll never trouble an honest yankee soldier again the fierce buzzing increased all around them and colonel winchester shouted to his trumpeteer blow the charge at once the man full willing put the trumpet to his lips and blew loud and long the whole regiment went across the creek at a gallop the water flying in yellow showers and did not stop until emerging from the marsh they reached the crest of a low hill a mile beyond here stung bleeding and completely defeated by the enemy they stopped for repairs an occasional angry buzz showed that they were not yet safe from the skirmishers but their attack seemed a light matter after the full assault of the determined foe i suppose we're all wounded said dick as he wiped a bleeding cheek at least as far as i can see they're hurt the last fellow who got his bayonet in my face turned his weapon around and around and sang merrily at every revolution we were afraid of being ambushed by forrest said warner speaking from a swollen countenance instead we struck something worse we rode straight into an ambush of ten billion high-powered mosquitoes every one tipped with fire have we got enemies like these to fight all the way down here they sting the rebels too said pennington yes but they like newcomers best the unacclimated when we rode down into that swamp i could hear them shouting to one another that fat fellow is mine i saw him first i've marked the rosy cheek boy for mine keep away the rest of you fellows i feel as if i'd been through a battle no more marshes for me some of the provident produced bottles of oil of pennyroyal sergeant daniel whitley who rode a giant bay horse was one of the most foreseeing in this respect and after the boys had used his soothing liniment freely the fiery torment left by the mosquito's sting passed away the sergeant seemed to have grown bigger and broader than ever his shoulders were about to swell through his faded blue coat and the hand resting easily on the rein had the grip and power of a bear's paw 
His rugged face had been tanned by the sun of the far south to the color of an Indian's. He was formidable to a foe, and yet no gentler heart beat than that under his old blue uniform. Secretly, he regarded the young lieutenants, his superiors in military rank and education, as brave children, and often he cared for them where his knowledge and skill were greater than theirs, or even that of colonels and generals. "'God bless you, Sergeant,' said Dick. "'You don't look like an angel, but you are one. That is, of the double-fisted fighting type.' The sergeant merely smiled, and replaced the bottle carefully in his pocket, knowing they would have good use for it again. The regiment, after salving its wounds, resumed its watchful march. "'Do you know where we're going?' Pennington asked Dick. "'I think we're likely, if we live long enough, to land in the end before Vicksburg, the great southern fortress. But as I gather it, we mean to curve and curl and twist about a lot before then. Grant, they say, intends to close in on Vicksburg, while Rosecrans, farther north, is watching Bragg at Chattanooga. We're a flying column, gathering up information and ready for anything.' "'It's funny,' said Warner thoughtfully, "'that we've already got so far south in the western field. We can't be more than two or three hundred miles from the Gulf. Besides, we've already taken New Orleans, the biggest city of the south, and our fleet is coming up the river to meet us. Yet in the east we don't seem to make any progress at all. We lose great battles there, and Fredericksburg, they say, was just a slaughter of our men. How do you make it out, Dick? I've thought of several reasons for it. Our generals in the west are better than our generals in the east or their generals in the east are better than their generals in the west. And then there are the rivers. In the east, they mostly run eastward between the two armies, and they're no help to us, but a hindrance, rather. Here in the west the rivers, and they are many and great, mostly run southward, the way we want to go, and they bring our gunboats on their bosoms. Excuse my poetry, but it's what I mean. You must be right. I think that all the reasons you give apply together. But our command of the water has surely been a tremendous help. And then we've got to remember, Dick, that there was never a navy like ours. It goes everywhere, and it does everything. Why, if Admiral Farragut should tell one of those gunboats to steam across the Mississippi bottoms, it would turn its saucy nose, steer right out of the water into the mud, and blow up with all hands aboard before it quit trying. You two fellows talk too much, said Pennington. You won't let President Lincoln and Grant and Halleck manage the war, but you want to run it yourselves. I don't want to run anything just now, Frank, rejoined Dick. What I'm thinking about most is rest and something to eat. I'd like to get rid, too, of about ten pounds of Mississippi mud that I'm carrying. Well, I can catch a glint of white pillars through those trees. It means the big house of a plantation, and you'll probably find somewhere back of it the long rows of cabins inhabited by the dark people whom we've come to raise to the level of their masters if not above them i can see right now the joyous welcome we'll receive from the owners of the big house they'll be standing on the great piazza waving union flags and shouting to us that they have ready cooling drinks and luxurious food for us all it's hardly a joke to me what of the cause of the war it's the bitterness of death for these people to be overrun. Besides, I remember the words of that old fellow in the blacksmith shop before we fought the Battle of Stone River. He said that even if they were beaten, they'd still be there holding the land and running things. That's true, said Warner. I've been wondering how this war would end, and now I'm wondering what will happen after it does end. But here we are at the gate. 
What big grounds! These great planters certainly had space. And what silence, said Dick. It's uncanny, George. A place like this must have had a thousand slaves, and I don't see any of them rushing forward to welcome their liberators. Probably contraband, gone long ago to Ben Butler at New Orleans. I don't believe there's a soul here. Remember that lone house in Tennessee where a slip of a girl brought Forrest down on us and had us cut pretty nearly to pieces? I couldn't forget it, nor could Colonel Winchester. The house, large and low, stood in grounds covering an area of several acres, enclosed by a paling fence, now sagging in many places. Great stone posts stood on either side of the gateway, but the gate was opened, and it too sagged. The grounds had evidently been magnificent, both with flowers and forest trees. Already many of the flowers were blooming in great luxuriance and brilliancy, but the walks and borders were untrimmed. The house was of wood, painted white with green shutters, and as they drew nearer, they appreciated its great size, although it was only two stories in height. A hundred persons could have slept there, and twice as many could have found shade in the wide piazzas which stretched the full length of the four sides. But all the doors and shutters were closed, and no smoke rose from any chimney. They caught a glimpse of the cabins for the slaves on lower ground, some distance behind the great house. The whole regiment reined up as they approached the carriage entrance, and although they were eight hundred strong, there was plenty of room without putting a single hoof upon a flower. It was a great place that leaped to the eye, but it was not marked upon Colonel Winchester's map, nor had he heard of it. It's a grand house, he said to his aides and it's a pity that it should go to ruin after the slaves are freed, as they certainly will be. But it was built upon slave labor, said Warner. So it was, and so were many of the most famous buildings in the world. But here I'm not going to get into an argument about such questions with young men under my command. Besides, I'm fighting to destroy slavery, not to study its history. Sergeant Whitley, you're an experienced trailer. Do you see any signs that troops have passed here? None at all, sir. Down near the gate where the drive is out of repair, I noticed wheel tracks, but they were several days old. The freshest of them were light, as if made by buggies. I judge, sir, that it was the family the last to leave. And the wagons containing their valuables had gone on ahead? It would seem so, sir. Colonel Winchester sighed. An invader is always feared and hated, he said. But we do come as enemies, said Dick and this feeling toward us can't be helped. That's true. No matter what we do, we'll never make any friends here in one of the Gulf states, the very core of the Southern feeling. Dick, take a squad of men and enter the house. Pennington, you and Warner go with him. Dick sprang down instantly, chose Sergeant Whitley first, and with the others entered the great portico. The front door was locked, but it was easy enough to force it with a gun butt, and they went in but not before Dick had noticed over the door, in large letters, the name Bellevue. So this was Bellevue, one of the great cotton plantations of Mississippi. He now vaguely remembered that he had once heard his uncle, Colonel Kenton, speak of having stopped a week here. But he could not recall the name of the owner. Strong for the Union as he was, Dick was glad that the family had gone before the Northern Cavalry came. The house was on a splendid scale inside also, but all the rugs and curtains were gone. 
as they entered the great parlor dick saw a large piece of paper and he flushed as he read written upon it in tall letters to the yankee raiders you need not look for the silver it has been taken to vicksburg look at that he said indignantly to warner see how they taunt us but warner laughed maybe some of our men at new orleans have laid us open to such a stab he said then he added whimsically we'll go to vicksburg with grant dick and get that silver yet the writing's fresh said sergeant whitley who also looked at the notification the paper hasn't begun to twist and curl yet it has not been posted up there many hours colonel winchester entered at that moment and the notice was handed to him he too flushed a little when he read it but the next instant he laughed dick then called his attention to the apparent fact that it had been put there recently may i speak a word colonel said warner who had been thinking so hard there was a line the full length of his forehead yes george a dozen if you like go ahead what is it the sergeant who has had much experience as a trailer told us that the tracks made by the buggy wheels were several days old the slaves probably had been sent southward before that time now someone who saw our advance has come back and whoever it was he was thoroughly familiar with the house he couldn't have been a servant servants don't leave taunts of that kind it must have been somebody who felt our coming deeply and if it had been an elderly man he would have waited for action he wouldn't have used saucy words so sir i think it must have been a boy just like pennington there for instance good george go on with your reasonings as surely sir as z plus y equals the total of the two the one who put up the placard was a son of the owner he alone would feel deeply enough to take so great a risk the conditions absolutely demand that the owner has such a son and that he has done it very good george i think you're right and this youth in giving way to a natural burst of anger although he did not mean to do so has posted up for us a warning a lad of his spirit would go in search of forest and we cannot forget our experience with that general in tennessee now boys we'll make ready for the night which is not far away the house was built for a southern climate although dick had learned that it could be cold enough in central mississippi in midwinter but it was spring now and they opened all the doors and windows letting the pleasant air rush through the musty house it may rain said colonel winchester and the officers will sleep inside the men will spread their blankets on the piazzas and the horses will be tethered in the grounds i hate to see the flowers and grass trodden down but nature will restore them some of the soldiers gathered wood from heaps nearby and fires were kindled in the kitchen and also on the hearths in the slave quarters Colonel Winchester had been truly called the father of his regiment He was invariably particular about its health and comfort and as he always led it in person in battle There was no finer body of men in the Union service Now he meant for his men to have coffee and warm food after this long and trying ride and soon savory odors arose Although the cooking was not begun until after dark lest the smoke carry a signal to a lurking enemy the cavalrymen cut the thick grass which grew everywhere and fed it to their horses eight hundred massive jaws munching in content the beasts stirred but little after their long ride and now and then one uttered a satisfied groan the officers drank their coffee and ate their food on the eastern piazza which overlooked a sharp dip toward a creek three or four hundred yards away 
the night had rushed down suddenly after the fashion of the far south and from the creek they heard faintly the hoarse frogs calling beyond the grounds a close ring of sentinels watched because colonel winchester had no mind to be surprised again by forrest or by fighting joe wheeler or anybody else the night was thick and dark and moist with clouds dick despite the peace that seemed to hang over everything was oppressed the desolate house even more than the sight of the field after the battle was over brought home to him the meaning of war it was not alone the death of men but the uprooting of a country for their children and their children's children as well then his mind traveled back to his uncle colonel kenton and suddenly he smote his knee what is it dick asked colonel winchester who sat only two or three yards away now i remember sir when i was only seven or eight years old i heard my uncle tell of stopping as i told you at a great plantation in mississippi called bellevue but i couldn't recall the name of its owner i know him now what is the name dick woodville john woodville he was a member of the mississippi senate and he was probably the richest man in the state i think i've heard that name he's a confederate colonel now with pemberton's army no doubt we'll have to fight him later on meanwhile we're using his house fortune of war but all war is in a sense unfair because it's usually a question of the greater force at any rate dick we won't harm colonel woodville's home yet in the end sir a lot of these great old country places will go and what will take their place you and i coming from a border state know that the colored race is not made up of uncle tom's well dick we haven't won yet and until we do we won't bother ourselves about the aftermath of war i'm glad we found so large a place as this at the last moment i sent part of the men to the cabins but at least three or four hundred must lie here on the piazzas and most of them are already asleep it's lucky they have roofs look how the clouds are gathering as much more room had been made upon the piazzas by the assignment of men to the cabins colonel winchester and some of his officers also rested there dick lying between the two blankets which he always carried in a roll tied to his saddle was very comfortable now with his head on his knapsack the night had turned cooler and save when faint and far lightning quivered it was heavy and dark with clouds but the young lieutenants hardened by two years of war and life in the open felt snug and cozy on the broad sheltered piazza it was not often they found such good quarters and dick like colonel winchester was truly thankful that they had reached bellevue before the coming storm it was evident now that the night was going to be wild the lightning grew brighter and came nearer cutting fiercely across the southern sky the ominous rumble of thunder which reminded dick so much of the mutter of distant battle came from the horizon on which the lightning was flashing end of chapter one part one